1: Hello and welcome along to the first episode of Scran for 2023 and where better to begin than with our road trip. I made my way down the east coast to visit some interesting food and drink businesses to learn more about their work. All the businesses you will hear from today are part of the Scotland Starts Here campaign and aims to show that it's in the south that Scotland's identity and soul were born. First stop on my trip was the Allenton Inn, a historic building that has been serving locals and passers-by for hundreds of years. I met owner and chef, Katrina Reynolds, who told me all about the business and cooked me some delicious seafood.
2: All the servants and all the staff of the house used to drink beer here, and it was only a beer house back then because they weren't allowed to serve spirits
1: in case they all got too drunk. Despite it being deepest, darkest winter, when I stepped into Giacopazzi's ice cream parlor in Eyemouth, I was transported to an Italian summer's day by the cheerful continental interior and the dozens of flavours of delicious looking ice cream that adorned the cabinets. I sat down with sales and
3: marketing manager Kerry Waddell and production manager Summers Giacopazzi. You're always learning, you're always looking at new products and always trying to create something a little bit different. Having worked up an appetite
1: on my road trip so far, Jarvis Pickle Pies was a welcome stop where I met Jamie Brown, co-founder and owner. We discussed how the business came about, that intriguing name and what it's like being part of Edinburgh's festival scene in the summer. Oh, and I got to sample some really
0: sumptuous pies. This year is really about navigating all, all those price increases and then just getting new customers.
1: My final stop on this visit to Eyemouth was Guns Green House, an amazing and beautiful building which sits overlooking the harbour. Home to Guns Green Gin, I met manager Tracy Duffy who told me some of the extraordinary history of the house and how Guns Green Gin came about.
4: John Nisbet, who was a merchant but a smuggler by night. So John was very clever and smuggled tea from Gothenburg. The reason he did that was the tax on tea was 119%. So he had seen a niche in the market and decided to bring tea to Eyemouth and sell it illegally.
1: I'm here at the Allenton Inn in the Scottish Borders with owner Katrina. Katrina, hello, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yes, nice to see you. Welcome to the Borders. Thank you very much. So you're going to talk us through some cooking some seafood, is that right? That's right, yes. So can you just tell us uh, what we're cooking and kind of what you're doing as you're going along? Well, we're
2: going to uh, prep some of our um, elements of our seafood platter, which is something we offer all year round, but it's a dish that's particularly uh, popular in the summer months. It's all local seafood. We have fantastic relationships with our local suppliers. So we get lobsters straight from the boat, we get oysters from um, just down near Holy Island. And it's all kind of comes in through our um, fishmonger, Ross Dougal of Eyemouth, who is a great fishmonger and they supply us daily with fabulous seafood. So most of it doesn't need much prep because it's it's just so tasty as it is. We steam the mussels and then there's a little bit of prep involved with the oysters and the lobsters and the langoustines.
1: So what are we going to be cooking today? So I'm just gonna just
2: steam some mussels, do the moul mariniere, which is the top part of the the top layer of our seafood platter. So it's just the blue shell uh, Shetland mussels, which we uh, steam with white wine and garlic. And just some white wine and a bit of garlic. And then we just put the lid on those and let them steam. And then their natural juices, as the shells open, and we get lots of natural juices in the seafood flavors of the sea come out of the out of the mussel shells. Um, they don't take long. It's a really, really popular dish on its own in the summer. Uh, quite often, when beautiful day in the beer garden, and people often uh, come for mussels. and just serve it with locally sourced bread from uh, Ford for baker in Norham. Really simple dish, but really tasty. So yeah, and the seafood. It's generally a platter that's uh can be for two or four. It's a sharing platter, so often it's quite a, something people order for um, celebrations, birthdays, anniversaries, such like. So we usually serve it with salad, bread, chips, or baby potatoes, and um, perfectly matched with a lovely bottle of white wine. So we have a lovely uh, chablis or sausse, lovely crisp sort of French white wines um, from our wine list. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Now really good, I'm also really hungry.
2: (laughs) Steaming them until all the shells open up. I think that's just about them all open now. And then just drain off some of the extra liquid. And that's cream. And then just warm
1: the cream.
2: And then we'll have some herbs, and then it's ready to serve.
1: Yeah, so, can you tell us a bit about the inn? I think it's got a bit of a, a historic past. It certainly
2: has. There's been uh, an inn here for, I don't know, hundreds of years, going back well into the 18th century. There's a well in the back garden and the beer garden. So, there's always been a watering hole here. There were three wells in the village. A lot of people were passing through, and obviously needed somewhere to stay and water their horses. So back in the day it was a coaching inn. Next to the building adjacent was the stables with a hayloft and we've still got the hooks outside where they used to tether the horses. So it was a it was a busy road. It was the sort of Duns to Berwick route. With a lot of people passing through, obviously right on the border between England and Scotland. So there's been a lot of there's a lot of history to the area. There's some large estates around here so there's a lot of money and good agricultural land. So there was always plenty of people looking for a drink. Traditionally Allenton is an estate village and it served the Blackadder estate. The Blackadder family were the sort of chief clan of the of the south of Scotland for many years up until uh, the Battle of Flodden in the 1500s when uh, the head of the clan got killed and then the family couldn't afford, it all got taken over and couldn't afford to run their estate anymore. So. All the servants and all the staff of the house used to drink here, and it was only a beer house back then because they weren't allowed to serve spirits in case they all got too drunk. So it was a very busy bar, very much uh, a spit and sawdust kind of inn, um, and it's traded all the way through. It's never closed. The inn's changed hands many times, sort of through after the war. The estate sold the inn to Vaux Brewery and then they rented it out to a family, the South Holes, who had the inn for many years, maybe 60 years. And then in the 80s, it kind of changed again. It transformed into more um, of a, a kind of restaurant, food-based. So that was the real sort of shift. Although it had, it had this, there was a function upstairs, so it was always doing functions for local clubs and societies. Weddings and many birthdays were held here. And then slowly, it's just with time as, as trends and and eating out has changed, it's transformed again. Um, we, When we took, took it over, it was much more fine dining, very small numbers, uh, which wasn't really viable for us. So we changed it into what it is now, um, trying to do a little bit more volume than was previously done. Um, and we just wanted to get a reputation for just sourcing local produce, doing things like this seafood platter, just taking what there is available locally and not messing around with it too much, keeping it quite simple and just serving tasty, good food, seasonal, and promoting and showcasing what The Borders has to offer with all the fabulous ingredients that we have around here. A lot of it is grown, whether it be potatoes, tomatoes, the seafood, and then all the meats. And then we have things like honey. There's just, there's an abundance of local produce. So we just try and get as much of it as we can. And then that's the core of our menu. Try not to mess with it too much.
1: It smells really good. The garlic is good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a
2: strong smell, but it's,
1: yeah,
2: it's a
1: good smell though. Isn't it? Some of the cream, the uh, cream. There we go. It's really delicious. So creamy, garlicy. Classic.
2: Yeah, very, very nice. simple. Like, like I was saying, you don't want to mess too much with, it. you know, fabulous Scottish seafood. We just add a few extra flavours just to enhance and bring out the, uh, the, the flavour of the seafood. That's what people enjoy. It's something they don't really do at home. It's hard sometimes mm. to get fresh seafood now in the supermarkets. So when they come out to a restaurant, it's something they like to order because it's something they maybe not necessarily have at home. So when did you take that in over? My husband William and I, we bought The Inn. We moved down from Edinburgh in 2010. We've been in hospitality all our lives. We had a a bar in Edinburgh for 10 years and we actually met as catering students up in in Aberdeen at Robert Gordon's University. We're very passionate about the industry, about promoting local products, getting young people into the industry. We work quite hard with developing the young workforce to try and sort of encourage hospitality as a career um, because it can be a very rewarding career. It has been for us. You meet so many wonderful people, we've got so many friends in the industry and have met so many people from all over the world. So yeah, so it's been it's been a 13 challenging years. Alas, there's a lot of been a lot of change over the, the time we've been here. Our ideas have changed as well. We had big plans to extend the inn um because the accommodation side of the business is we're very busy, we're fully booked pretty much all summer. So many reasons why people come to the borders. There are quite a few wedding venues near here. So we get wedding guests, we get the tourists cycling, walkers, fishermen, shooting parties. We, you know, it's really varied why people choose to come to the borders. So we were looking, uh, before COVID, we were looking to expand and increase our accommodation provision. We were looking, we had plans to add on another six bedrooms to the the seven we already have. Things changed. So we've had to shelve those plans for the moment because it's really hard to think about undertaking a massive building project in the current climate. Because it's an old building, it's quite a lot of small rooms, so sometimes we're restricted by the space we've got and we're having to turn away business. So by developing the garden and developing um, what the offering we can uh, give people in the
1: beer garden, hopefully we can increase our business that way. So what's it like running a business in Edinburgh compared to here?
2: Well... There were two entirely different businesses. Our uh, business in Edinburgh was uh, a bar in Leith, which was very much a late night destination much more varied clientele, obviously being in Leith. A lot of media types, a lot of creative minds. We were sort of 15, 20 years younger than we are now. So it was kind of the stage we were at in life ourselves. So it was much more vibrant, um, much later nights. But then as we started to have children of our own, our lifestyle needed to change slightly. We couldn't quite cope with the 3 o'clock in the in the morning working uh, closing then and then having to be up with kids at five six o'clock in the morning so um and we also needed help with childcare, which brought us to the borders because this is where i'm from so and also what william's family are local too so we needed a little bit of help from grandparents with childcare. i maybe didn't work as much in edinburgh because i was having kids and um it would be more william working in the evenings and i'd work daytimes so it's a bit changed around here i tend to work more uh, night times in the kitchen and William's doing daytimes um, a little bit more there's a lot more paperwork involved because there's so many more departments we've got bedrooms as well as the bar we've got the bedrooms and we've got the food side of things as well so there's a lot more goes into running at the inn and it's a much more of a commitment because it's open pretty much all day you know 24 hours a day we've got guests so we have to be on hand whereas in Edinburgh. It was a bit easier to just shut the door and walk away, and then open the next day. So very different businesses. Um, we do miss the vibrancy of Leith. It's a, it's a slower pace of life down here in the Borders, but we enjoy it, um, and it suits our stage of life with kids. And it's a great place to bring up kids. Um, they have a lot more space, freedom. It's very safe. Everyone knows each other. Um, so it's a real and it's a real community feel. Although. There was that in Leith, but that least quite exceptional for that. But we both we love both we love both stages of life.
1: So you're part of the South of Scotland Destination Alliance. So could you just tell us a bit about that?
2: Yeah, the SSDA are are working really hard to promote the South of Scotland as a place for people to come. Um, well, we obviously love it here, but and it's a little bit of a secret. The south of Scotland, there's lots to see, do, and everyone that visits the area always is so surprised there is so much to see and do down here and wants to come back or, or doesn't spend long enough here. A lot of people are transient, spend one or two nights, and then, and then they realise there's so much to do and they want to come back. So the SSDA was set up to, to make the south of Scotland a, a destination in its own right. So they promote, they've got their Scotland starts here, hashtag, which we use to promote anything that's going on in in the area. And obviously Scotland does start here. We have a boat, the border is just a few miles away for tourists. They're interested in history, very turbulent history, obviously with all the, the fighting, the wars of independence that have gone on over the years. So yes, the SSDA are promoting hospitality venues are promoting the tourist attractions, the events, a lot going on with the the cycling, the cycle path, there's a new coast-to-coast cycle uh, trail being established next year. Uh, Lonely Planet has recommended the south of Scotland as a um, a destination for 2023. That's going to be globally, so we're excited about that and hoping that's going to bring lots of international guests. Obviously, the last two years we haven't had or seen as many international guests as we we used to but the ssda are, are, are brilliant at sort of helping us promote what our offering we don't necessarily have a marketing budget We're just a small business we don't have money to promote things we I, I plug away on social media myself um so it's great to have the ssda to help to give us a bigger platform to tell our story about what we're doing whether it be the winter escape uh, package that's um on offer in the new year all the seafood platters which, which go really well uh, in the summer months. But also just our, just telling people about our accommodation and, and what we do, it, it just helps. Any, anything that can promote us helps. Um, so where are your customers coming from? Just our proximity to Edinburgh and the rest of Scotland, people think trying to get people out of Edinburgh uh, to come down to the borders. Um, we're only an hour from Edinburgh, it's 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 not far at all. We, we are increasingly getting more people doing short-term breaks and just coming from, whether it be Newcastle or Edinburgh or even further into the borders, just coming, wanting to drive an hour. Quite often they are just guests that are coming from Edinburgh and Fife and and not too far away that want to just have a little break, come down, come get away from the hustle and bustle of life, which, you know, particularly in the cities is, you know, they're very busy and, and down here, it, it is a bit slower pace of life. You do feel like time has stood still a little bit, which is lovely. And I think the guests that come really appreciate that, especially the ones from the south of England, I think when life is crazy down there with traffic, it's just a little bit slower and, you know, little quaint villages and you do feel like you've gone back in time a little bit, which is, which is lovely.
1: So I'm going to continue to tuck into these delicious mussels and thank you very much for your time. It's a pleasure, I hope you enjoy your mussels. In case you were wondering, the bar Khatina and husband William managed was Isa Bar, a firm favourite of locals of the shore in Edinburgh for many years. I'm at gelato parlor in Eyemouth and I'm joined by Kerry and Summer Giacopazzi and we're just going to discuss a little bit about the business.
3: So Kerry, can you tell us how the business started and a bit about the history? So the business has been in the Giacopazzi family since the early 1900s when the Jacopazzi original family members, Lorenzo Giacopazzi came to Mouth. he was travelling to America but stopped in Scotland and fell in love with it and started doing what he does best which was making ice cream. We're still in part of the original premises, the original site from all those years ago but as you can see it's, it's come a long way, over a hundred years. And you've also got a fish and chip shop, is that right? Yes, so the ice cream came first and then the fish and chips was sort of a a natural attachment to the business and now we've um, separated the two out so we now have our beautiful bespoke gelato parlour which sits right next door to our original fish and chip shop.
1: And I should say for anyone that doesn't know we're right in the
3: harbour right so it's a nice setting for fish and chips and ice cream. Yeah, we're really very lucky in our location here in Eyemouth. We're on the beautiful East Berwickshire coast, um, a lovely part of the Scottish borders. But, you know, we're, we're a very much a tourist destination and people come here for the scenery and the environment and the wildlife. But they also come for the fish and chips and the ice cream. So can you tell us a little bit about the flavours of the gelato?
5: So originally we only ever made vanilla and that was up until about the 80s. Mm-hmm and then we started experimenting with other flavours as technology moved on, we got new equipment and were able to make more and more flavours, so now we produce a flavour range of about 70 different flavours, some more popular than others as you can imagine, but you can never go away from classic vanilla, it'll always be your number one seller.
1: So how have you gone about developing the flavours?
5: so with market trends and working with chefs and our wholesale customers we can develop flavors to go with certain items on a menu also flavor trends as in salted caramel in the sort of past eight to ten years has took off massively um, just to name a few but then also you can jump onto new products that people are buying so kinder buenos bounty bars things things that are in trend really help to set where your flavors are going and you can sort of match profiles through that
1: and you mentioned chefs there so can you tell me a bit about your wholesale side of the business
5: yeah so our wholesale side of the business started about 10 11 years ago now and we've expanded massively in the past two years we've built a custom-made factory for ourselves with all our in-house storage and production area as we're just outgrowing the current site we're at just now where we used to make all our product which has helped massively with the wholesale being able to do everything and store everything under one roof. We work with a lot of chefs as I said through restaurant customers but we also have parlor customers etc as well. Working with the chefs is great because they sometimes have items going onto a menu and they want an ice cream made to match.
1: And have you learned your job just through your family?
5: Yeah, so I started making ice cream about 15, 16 years ago, just on a Saturday as a Saturday job. And then it led on from there just after school, came in and as I say, about that was just about 10, 11 years ago now so I've been doing it full time for 11 years just doing it day in, day out, learning the craft and learning as you go and always trying to improve that's the good thing about ice cream there's never a finish line, it's always progression there's always tweaks to be made or a little bit different, something to try, things like that
1: so we're just uh, we're sitting in the cafe just now. It's a lovely modern bright space. We've got some nice colourful artwork of Italy on the walls. Some really nice uh, tiles in the back. Um, there's a counter with cakes and coffee and soft drinks. And then there's a obviously fridge with all the um, gelato, which looks amazing. We've got like sauces on the top of some. Um, bits of gingerbread on the top of some biscoff, biscuits. Um, bits of Kinder Bueno. Um, So yeah, it all looks very appetising and lovely. So Kerry, what is your favourite flavour, if you can say?
3: It's it's a difficult question to answer. I think, personally, I don't have one particular favourite and sometimes it depends on the time of year. So we do a lot of seasonal flavours and they're not you know they're not available year round so sometimes my favourites depend on the time of year. I think for me the best flavours we make are the flavours that surprise people the most. So personally one of my favourites is actually rhubarb because I remember being at an event and having rhubarb as one of our products and people being less sure about it but when they tasted it percent of people absolutely loved it and i think that's what's great about this industry and what summer's touched on you're always learning you're always looking at new products and always trying to create something a little bit different so that's certainly one of mine one that's in the cabinet today that's a similar type of product in terms of you must try it is our kiwi, apple and avocado because those are perhaps three things that people wouldn't ordinarily put together. It's a newer flavour on the market and as Summer said we work with the recipe houses and we're always looking for new products and it's about trying it and then getting the customer feedback so I'd highly recommend you to, you taste that today as something completely different and would love to know what you think.
1: Okay so we'll just try some of that then. Okay, so you'd look at it and you'd think it's probably mint chalk chip, same colour. Uh, there's little bits in it from kiwi, so I'm going to try it. Really smooth, not too sweet, getting kind of crispness from the apple and definitely some kiwi come through. It's really, really good, surprising, but lovely. Summer, what about you? What's your favourite ice cream?
5: I prefer the sort of darker flavours, so your sort of caramels, butterscotches, toffees, etc., so the one in the cabinet I would have today would be the Sticky Toffee Pudding, which is a butterscotch base with a caramel ripple and actual Sticky Toffee Pudding pieces through it.
1: Thank you very much. Okay, so I've got a little bit of everything here. It's really good. It's really sweet with caramel, and really creamy and a nice bit of uh, sticky toffee pudding in there as well. So yeah, that was one for the the sweet tooth fans. Thank you very
3: much. Thank you.
5: Thank you very much.
1: I'm now at Jarvis Pickle Pies with owner Jamie. Hi Jamie, how are you?
0: Good. Thanks, how are you doing?
1: Good, yeah. So uh, firstly, I need to say it smells amazing in here. We're sitting in your office, but you've obviously just baked some pies and it it smells incredible.
0: Yeah, we do baking of the pies three days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And typically we do around 1,000 to 1,400 pies a day. So yeah, we're just pretty much last pies going in the oven for today. And it was, yeah, a reasonably busy day.
1: So can you tell us a bit about how the business started?
0: So it started back in 2016. I was actually living in Berlin at the time and it was my mum my and her next-door neighbour were thinking about starting a business. They'd kind of done a few pop-up restaurants, things like that. Like my background was more in marketing and things. So I started doing, you know, more of the, uh, the website, things like that. Yeah, fast forward sort of six months we were making pies for, for farmers markets and for, for home delivery.
1: And was there, from your mum and her neighbours point of view, was there like a cooking background there or just like I wanted to do it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. My mum was from a... She started off kind of doing outside catering things. She also had a restaurant in Caldingham for for a while. Yeah, so it's always there's always been kind of a cooking background there.
1: And so how come it was pies that you uh, kind of landed on? We
0: well, were going down the route of kind of more salamis and cured meats and stuff at one point, and that was really looking at using up the sort of local game and things that, that was getting tipped. I guess it was more the, the hygiene and stuff around that. It was um, a lot more tricky than than uh, pies. Uh, so we thought, yeah, pies would be a good option uh, we also wanted to create a dish that was local to IMOF, so as in have it, have it using like local produce and stuff like with say the flour we use as Mungo's Wells and yeah everything just kind of clicked when we uh, when we started doing the pies
1: What does the name Jarvis Pickle mean or where does it come
0: from? Jarvis and Pickle were both the original my mum and the next door neighbour is dogs Jarvis Pickle, both uh, field cocker spaniels
1: got a mental cockapoo, sorry. And yeah, so what kind of flavours are available?
0: We've actually got 15 types. You've got everything from your kind of, what I call like entry-level beef and ales and chicken and leeks to more Scottish ones like cullen skink or say like pork and blue cheese. Uh, And we also have a, a vegan range, which is things like the mushroom with chestnuts, truffle oil. It's kind of got a little layer of sweet potato at the bottom as well, so...
1: And where can people buy them? Because you can't buy them here. Like You can't show up and buy them here, that's right.
0: Yeah, exactly, yeah. So you can buy them on, online. We've got like a pies by post service. So you kind of order before a Thursday and you'll get them by the next Thursday delivered to your door. You can also buy them in various different outlets throughout the UK from your kind of high-end food halls like Fenix or uh, Fort Mason to kind of a group of Northumberland pubs and yeah all all over the place really we've got kind of on the website there's a big kind of stockist list so we've just got the Cullen Skink pie and the the Christmas pie to try today so the Cullen Skink is Smoked Haddock which is smoked just up the road there at Ross Dougal's and we're in potatoes. I guess the difference between the culling skink, the soup, and and the pie filling is just reduction of the sauce, so it's just into more of a kind of uh, stew, rather than yeah, the soup. And then the Christmas pie is chicken-based. We did try turkey, but it was just was a bit dry it was drying out a bit so it's, yeah it's chicken base with bacon it's got chestnuts in a kind of creamy gravy um, and my mum makes like a, a cranberry and orange port sauce for, that it's topped with and there's a few Brussels Sprites at the bottom too yeah
1: <laughs> sounds good and smells good so we go with what we go first uh, Christmas Christmas yeah.
0: Christmas first yeah. sure Ooh.
1: Oh, wow, nice. So uh, we've got um Christmas pie. It's got a star on the top um, and lovely-looking pastry. And inside, it just cuts open, and we've got a nice mix of chicken. You can see the cranberries, and um looks like a really kind of nice, runny, moist, am I allowed to say moist, <laughs> sauce? <laughs> I know people don't like the word moist.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, well, in terms of, yeah, moisture content of pies, <laughs> there's, uh, there's, yeah, some people, some people prefer... Prefer like wetter pies to to others, so it's it's, it's sometimes f- we f- do find that like a difficult balance, like particularly with the the beef and ale pie. You, you know, so people from certain parts of the country want it to pour out, and and uh, some people just want thick, like with meat. But yeah, we've not actually had any kind of feedback on that for a while, so maybe, maybe we're hitting the right the right note with it.
1: When you're developing flavors, do you have like a really nice moment where you get to try lots of different like combinations and test it?
0: Yeah, so. Typically we have to try pies every week, which can be quite tough, yeah. yeah, Usually makes most of us sick of pies the rest of our lives. No, yeah, in terms of development, we uh, go through, yeah, numerous kind of rounds internally and externally uh, with with kind of friends and family to to develop or kind of refine recipes and and figure it out. Also, in terms of scaling recipes, there's it's always variations as well So you have to kind of Constantly monitor it And constantly keep up on it
1: Can you tell us about some awards That you've
0: won? yeah so the first awards we entered were the british pie awards which is down in melton Mowbray. they have 20 categories um from traditional pork pies uh cold pork pies right through to to like fish based or beef and ales uh steak and kidneys we've won i think 46 of their awards over the last four or five years and then the great tastes we have won 15 awards so far with with them. They have like a star systems like uh, one, two, three. So I think we've got eight two stars and and five one stars or something like that so
1: does that mean you've got to keep developing your recipes or do you just need to keep them consistent
0: the feedback is is really good for awards and that's probably what the the biggest thing you can take except from the pr away from away from like an awards and uh, so with the british pie awards you get like feedback forms from the judges british pie awards are more to do with the bake of the pie so they're looking for the, you know, the thickness of pastry and the consistency of thickness of pastry, the, the overall bake of the pie, the great taste is all about taste. And we definitely take take a lot of feedback from them and do change the recipes after seeing the, the judges' feedback. Yeah. It smells good. So you
1: can really smell the chicken, obviously. I've taken quite a big bite. So, <laughs> so that was... A bite kind of closer to the top so getting the sweet cranberries really really nice creamy sauce D- delicious a good mix of flavor good mix of filling yeah. some pastry we love pastry really good pastry yeah. it's my dinner in a pie i can see the sprout now as well
0: so here we have the this is the cullen skink, so smoked haddock potato and cream sauce uh, it's got parsley and garlic in it just like the i guess the traditional recipe
1: so, you've talked, you mentioned a couple of times about the Fringe, what is it like being part of that and the Edinburgh Food Festival?
0: Yeah, no, it's it's, it's hard work, but, but very rewarding. It's, it's all, for us, it's all about volume, so yeah, we're, we sell a lot of pies as a big fruit fall the guys like at, we're in assembly gardens and, and the guys there work really hard to to keep the gardens busy a lot of the time with it with like great programming and stuff the food festival happens before the fringe so so typically it's like the the Edinburgh festival and then there's the jazz festival and then the fringe all, all in the same um area for me personally it's nice to get out and about i spend a lot of time in the borders and in the bakery so it's it's nice to have our six weeks a year up there and uh, meeting back with old friends and uh, working with with a team that we've worked now for like or with for the last six years
1: so do you have any sort of plans or anything you can tell us for 2023
0: Twenty twenty three is going to be just managing the kind of cost of living crisis and the uh, inflation of ingredients. But yeah, we're we're on track in terms of sales. We've kind of been working uh, on a couple of bigger customers for the last six months or so. Like, that, I guess that's where where the business is at now. Is that? It's, it's more about taking on big customers every six months or every, every year or whatever. With expanding the production, as you saw today, we can probably do around ten to 15,000 pies a week. And we're cu- currently on kind of 3,000 pies a week. So we've, we've got the room to move into. It's just this year is really about yeah navigating all, all those price increases and then just getting new customers.
1: Hey, so now we're trying the Cullen Skink kit this one's topped with parsley so green kind of scattering on the top and it's very creamy inside I can see the potato and the fish and thank you very much smells good smells like smoked haddock as you can imagine it's really tasty yeah really flavourful good good ratio fish cream, potato
0: nice all the um, fish is just smoked at Ross just up the road so it's nice to buy it locally wherever we can
1: well thank you very much. It's been really interesting and delicious. Thanks for coming. I'm now at Guns Green House with manager Tracy Duffy. Hi Tracy. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you. So we're just going to have a little walk around so we'll get a feel of what the house is about and the story behind it and then we'll talk to you about the gin.
4: So Guns Green House was built in 1753 by John Nisbet, who was a merchant but a smuggler by night. So John was very clever and smuggled tea from Gothenburg. The reason he did that was the tax on tea was 119%. So he had seen a niche in the market and decided to bring tea to Eyemouth and sell it illegally. And what happened in the end? Was he caught? Oh yes, you don't get away with these sorts of things. Especially having a grand house like this on the edge of Eyemouth. Anybody that was a merchant did not have a house this big. So John Nesbitt was very clever. He designed the house around the smuggling. So the architect that was involved in building the house also was in on his smuggling idea so that he had places to hide it. So one of the places that he hid the tea was through the middle of the house. So he cut the floorboards on the top level of the house and he made a lead line chute through the house to open in a bookcase, which I'll be able to show you today. And he would be able to decant the tea into small bags out of the bootcase, which was very clever. He also designed some hidey holes. So on the top level of this house, there are some floorboards that can lift and a human can fit into those hidey holes. And at one time, you could actually walk under the floorboards between the rooms. And it was designed so that if customs came, there was places to hide. Let's go and have a look. I was going to say a great place for hide and seek then. Yeah. <laughs> so, when I explained earlier about the bootcase, this is the end of the t-shirt. So you can open the bootcase by moving one piece to the left and the front piece outwards. And then inside, you will see the little lever that you can pull up. And then the little bags underneath, mm-hmm. you would hold open. And the tea would be able to decant into there. It would be loose tea leaves. And then this is a secret hiding place. So this bootcase and the chute runs right up through two floors of the house. So the top is a floorboard that you lift and it would come down into the middle of it. And so why was the tea in the top floor of the house? So John Nisbert designed the back of the house so he could make a bridge from the bank into a room at the back of the house. So there was actually a door on the top level of the house where there was a bridge from the back of the bank straight into the house so that you could bring it in. So nobody could see from the front of the house what was going on. Because the front of the house is a very prominent place on the front of the harbor and you would need to have those secret goings on hidden. Other contraband was also brought in, some alcohol, but that didn't need to be brought into the main house. That could be brought in on the boats right to the harbour door. So at the bottom of the house, we have the cellar entrance. So there was alcohol brought into the bottom of the house and it could be stored in the cellars, but the tea needed to stay drier. So that stayed inside the house. Want to come through? So we're now in the accommodation part of this greenhouse, which we call merchant's house. And this is on the next level up. So we've just discovered the end of the tea chute. So we're now in the next level up, which is where you can actually see the lead lined part of the chute. This is a little secret hatch that we've made so that guests can have a little peek in and they would see where the tea was all stored. So these are the main function rooms in Guns Green, which is still part of Merchant's House. We let these out for holiday accommodation. We can cater for 11 guests at a time staying and we're very popular with groups and families and swimming groups, golfers, divers and anyone else that comes to Timoth on holiday. I see bright, big, bright rooms
1: yeah. out looking over the yeah,
4: harbour. So who owns the house or who do you manage the house on behalf of? So I manage the house on behalf of Guns House Trust. We're an independent trust. We're not part of any larger national trusts. So we're just a very small organisation and we don't have huge amounts of money. Scottish Boris Council actually own the building, but Guns Green House Trust keep the building alive. So how did your gin come about? Well it was actually a love of my own, (laughs) so a little bit selfish maybe, but we thought what else can we do while the house is closed? Think of some other way of generating some funds for the trust and an idea that I came up with was maybe producing an alcoholic beverage gin seems to be the most popular at the moment we did toy between a rum or a gin because we knew that rum and gins and spirits were part of the smuggled goods that John Nisbet brought back to Guns Green so we thought let's go with gin try it out then the pandemic hit so we didn't have much help in the way of taste testing so what we did was we recruited a local distillery to help us and we definitely wanted to have tea within the mixture of the of the gin definitely so we asked them to produce five different flavors and well five different versions of of tea infused gin and we labeled them one to five sent them out to trustees sent them out to friends and asked them to grade them one to five which one they thought was the best and which one was the worst and um, this one came out on top so we went with this one I don't think we've had many people say they don't like it. So that's good. A lot of people come to the stall or come to the house and they'll say, well, tea and gin's two of my favourite things. So let's put them together and have a try. And they seem to like it. So yeah, so far so good. Um, And yeah, the bottle's got a bit of a story as well, doesn't it? Yes. So we decided to go for a more rustic, dark feel with the bottle because we thought that would be more in keeping with what John would have probably brought back to guns green rather than a clear liquid fresh look we wanted to go for a more dark image
1: so yeah it's like a dark um, black bottle with a wooden kind of stopper and your uh, logo's really cool as well it's black and white saying guns green we're not going to have a taste but so the the one of the botanicals is tea is it other than that is it quite a traditional style gin
4: or what else can you say about the botanicals I can't say much because it's top secret, <laughs> as well as John Nisbet's secrets. <laughs> but what I can tell you, it is infused with tea, and it's English breakfast tea. Um, so where can people buy it? So at the moment, in Eyemouth, you can purchase bottles from a local shop called Oblo, which is a restaurant as well, one of our neighbouring businesses. You can also purchase it from the local garden centre in Berwick-Wantweed. And there's a wee shop in Cornhill, not too far away, that they stock it to. And anyone that might hear this and that want to stock it they can absolutely get in touch with us.
1: So just for anyone that's wondering you were open as a museum up until a couple of years ago and then a few things have happened so can you talk us through what's been going on?
4: Yes we've had an unfortunate few years we were like like most other businesses and visitor attractions we ended up closing during Covid. Uh, We did open for a short period of time with pre-bookable tickets which was very nice to see some people but we didn't get enough business through the door. Shortly after that In November of 2021, Storm Arwen hit Eyemouth very hard, and we unfortunately lost a lot of the roof of the house on that evening, which had a knock-on effect for months and months to come. So from the November to the May of this year, we had scaffolding around the house, so unfortunately the sellers to the house took the most of the blow after the storm, and we lost supply of the electricity the cellars actually ended up being waterlogged um due to the due to the amount of um, rain that we had and the storm and sometimes when the doors closed um there's not enough air coming through the museum we don't have heating system in the cellars and it ended up being very damp so gunscreen has a bright future ahead we have a feasibility study underway and we will be shortly applying for some funding to help regenerate the visitor attraction but in the meantime, if anyone would like to support the Trust, then please go out and buy a bottle of our gin. Definitely will. Thank you very much. You're very welcome.
1: Thank you to my guests and thanks to you two for listening. Please remember to rate, review and subscribe to Scran. Thanks to the South of Scotland Destination Alliance and all the guests who featured on this episode. You can find out more about their work on ScotlandStartsHere.com.